Glad to be here on today and um, want to recognize a few folks. Uh, Dean, I was looking forward to seeing you and your wife and uh, great to have you here. And uh, you guys are just blessed with so many uh, believers and servants of the cross. And I uh, want to thank many of you who are here. Uh, of course, Louise and Steve, uh, we go way back and Louise, uh, Iowa did do well against those, oh, I shouldn't say that, should I? I'll leave that alone. I'll, I'll, <laughs> oh, when I say it, <laughs> that I would beat the Buckeyes. <laughs> oh, Louise and I go way back, and um, uh, just great to see her and her leadership. Uh, I want to be uh, thankful for the uh, leadership, the council, for inviting me here. Uh, Dewey for making sure I got here. Uh, I was lost, <laughs> and I just picked up the phone, and he was able to get me here. So if you enjoy the sermon, thank Dewey. If you don't, well, you know what to tell him. <laughs> and Lisa, it's just good to see you. Thank God for your leadership and this whole congregation. Uh, I am here by myself. Normally, I travel with my wonderful wife, but... Uh, she is in down in North Carolina, and um, hope that one day you can see her again. I'll talk more about her in a moment. I am Demetrius Booker. I'm the um, state associate pastor for Ohio Ministries. I bring you blessings from our state pastor, Esther Cottrell. She is at another church today, actually installing a new pastor at one of your sister churches in I told her I was coming here, and she said I would have fun. Now, she didn't define what fun looked like, but she said I would have fun. So I'm just happy to be here with you all in this wonderful place. My roots are from Chicago. Uh, Then I went to Michigan. So this city boy just loves it when I get around grass and hills and and just the cows and cattle and uh, just It does something to me, and so you guys probably take it for granted, but I do not. And I want to say you are living a wonderful life. And so for Brian and Ryan, who's going to make me look good by the sound and the visual effect, thank you all in advance. Let's pray. Father, thank you for allowing us to be here at this wonderful congregation, at this church where so many believers are here. Believers who have dedicated their lives to service. Believers who are living their lives in this world. Believers who are salt shakers and beacons of light. Thank you, Lord. And Father, while we have not seen those children that Mandy talked about, we pray for those Families with children, we know how tough it is. And we understand the struggles raising families. And so, Father, we just honor you that there's a church that cares about children. And not just raising them up, but raising them up to be godly children, the fear and admonition of the Lord. And for that, we say thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. No volume. 
Hello. Back that up and you got volume, isn't you? No volume. Brian said he doesn't know how to do it. The guy's up front. Should I move on? Or? The congregation is antsy. <laughs> well, I had no power now. They, they, are, they, they took it over from me. Uh, I, 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 I see. They get their revenge. But Sunday's coming. Or, or Saturday's coming. We'll try that again if it doesn't work, or should I do anything, guys? You're putting the hands up. Well, we'll move on. Let's talk about God's church. The church of God, which is nearly 2,000 years old. We call it the ecclesia, the called out one. Those who've been called out of the synagogue, those who have been called out of Judaism and into the family of God. They embrace Jesus as the son of God and the son of man, Messiah, Savior of the world, Lamb of God. The church of God that is 2,000 years old still remains today the most powerful organization on the face of the earth. She's been pressed but not crushed, targeted but not defeated, set on fire but not consumed, ridiculed but not diminished. She has served our nation through many battles and conflicts. She has comforted our nation through wars and many rumors of wars. During times of adversity, she has stood strong. During times of calamity, she stood resourceful. The church of God, born through the blood of Jesus. The church of God, the bride of Christ. The church of God, solid as a rock. And guess what? This one makes me happy. The church of God, the light of the world, the salt of the earth. And you belong to her, 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 and even you guys belong to her. The church of God. Born in the blood of Jesus. I want you to know that this God that you and I serve has never been defeated. He's, he's been challenged but never defeated. If you're sick, you pray to Him. If it's His will, nothing can stop Him from healing you. You ever prayed to God for something? Of course you have. You don't carry this God around. You don't have to tell this God what to do. He loves you. On the Calvary, the church was born. On the day of ascension, she was sent. On Pentecost, she was empowered to be the greatest weapon on the face of the earth. And guess what? This God that you and I belong to, that nobody else can claim, no one can, no weapons formed against her can prosper. Guess what? Here's what I like about it. He's your daddy. Your daddy. Your brother is Jesus. The Holy Spirit is your partner. And why, uh, someone used to tell me, you cannot lose with the stuff we use. Amen. As believers in Jesus Christ, you are on the winning side. 
And I understand that we're going through a time in our life now where people are questioning the church and the legitimacy of the Holy Spirit's power. But I want you to know that God is ever more faithful. He can do exceedingly, abundantly, far above what you and I could ask or think. And if you have a God like that, if you have a person like that in your life, there's one question that you should ask yourself. One question. It's a profound question that you should ask yourself. The question will change your life and change this church's life. You ready for the question? What makes God happy? Have you ever asked yourself that? Have you ever asked yourself, what makes this person so happy who will save you and redeem you and answer your prayers and give you what you want? You ever stop and quit asking God for stuff? And just said, what makes you happy? I have a granddaughter, a, a grandchildren, they're twins. About three years ago, I experienced someone asking me what makes me happy. Now, of course, my wife has, so don't jump on her when you see her. And, and, but, but this was unique. My, my grandchildren, I took them to Chuck E. Cheese. And they had a wonderful time. And, you know, you go up to the case. And you're looking at all the different things behind the window. And I was asking them what would they want. And then all of a sudden, the smart one in the group, Widow, you know, the young girls, they're just very smart. I'm telling you that. We catch up later, but they're very smart. She stopped. She looked at me and she said, Sir Grandpa? Now, the reason why they call me Sir Grandpa is because when they were born, Willow came up to me real young and said, uh, What do we call you? And I said, okay, they already have grandparents on their daddy's side, and I want them to remember who I am, and I have a complicated name if you didn't hear that, Demetrius. And so I said, uh, sir, grandpa. I figured they call me sir, they'll honor me. If they call me grandpa, they'll remember who I am. So I said, sir, grandpa. Well, my grandson Isaac just started running around the house. That's sir, grandpa. That's sir, grandpa. So Willow looked wondering, is that? really a name, but because Isaac had taken it and ran, she said, okay, hi, sir, grandpa, and they called me that, and so she looks up at me and says, sir, grandpa, what would make you happy? It was a profound question for a kid who's in Chuck E. Cheese, and it's all about yourself. She actually wanted to know what would make me happy. I always ask her that now she's older. I say, Willow, you know what would make me happy? Uh, yes, sir, grandpa. I said, if you would sit down <laughs> and quit running around. <laughs> Have you ever stopped and asked yourself, what makes God happy? As an individual, as a congregation. We're always asking God for stuff, but you know, God wants to be happy too. In fact, you and I were created for His glory. And he created us to be happy and not sad. I want to leave something for you today in the few moments that I will take with you. I want to give you something that you will never, ever forget. And if you embrace this, it will have a profound change on the life, on your life, and on this congregation. You see, many of us exist and live to do what we want to do. But have you ever just stopped and said, I'm going to do what God wants me to do today? As a church, when you have your business meetings and you strategize what you're going to do, is God anywhere in that picture? 
What would God have me to do? Well, the answer to what makes God happy can be found in Luke 14. Luke 14 says this. Then Jesus said to him, A certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. And I ask you to have me excused. Another said, I have bought the five yokes of oxen and I am going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Ladies, I like this one. It said, still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. I always hear the ladies laugh when I read that scripture. Because in the Old Testament time, when a man got married for one year, they didn't have to go to the military. They had to work on doing one thing, making their wife happy. I know you would like that. (laughs) And so he tells Jesus, Lord, you know I can't come according to the Bible. The Levitical Bible, the priestly title, I cannot come. So... The text goes on and says this. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges, and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. What makes God happy? God is happiest when we fill his house. What a profound statement that God cares about filling his house. If you look at the church, this is his house. If you look at every empty seat, that's one empty body that represents one empty missing soul. One soul that was already crucified on the cross by Jesus Christ and redeemed. That's not here today. The text says that 70% in this community, in this community, don't go to church. Do you think God cares about that? Of course He cares about that. Do you think God cares about people who do not know Him? Of course He cares about that. God gets happy when we fill His house. This is a story from Jesus Christ for our revelation, for our application. How do you make God happy? You fill his house. Well, preacher, we've been trying to do that for a while. Tell us how to do it. I'm glad you asked. Just three points. Here we go. Number one, how do you fill God's house? Recognize the Great Commission is not an option. Recognize the Great Commission is not an option. Now, before I show that verse, let me say something to you. I have spent time in hospitals and nurseries and ERs. I have saw men and women and groups of folks getting ready to die. And I can tell you when a person is getting ready to die or getting ready to leave you, even in the affirmative, if somebody is getting ready to depart from you and they'll never see you again, their last words are very important. Jesus is getting ready to leave his disciples. He had walked the earth for a while. He had performed 
miracles and ministry and he had died on the cross, rose from the grave. And now Jesus is getting ready to go and he calls his believers together. And these are the last words of Jesus. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. These are the words of Jesus. Any church, any believer that's not doing these words of Jesus should be challenged today. If there's any other message that the church is preaching, any other message that a believer is preaching, and these are not the words that says go and make disciples and teach people what Jesus said, then I would challenge what you're really teaching them. I would challenge parents, what are you really teaching your children if you're not teaching them to observe what Jesus told them to? I would challenge churches, what are you really teaching people or preaching to people if you're not preaching and teaching them to observe all things? He didn't say some. didn't say what you like. All things that Jesus commanded. The Great Commission is not an option. Number two, how do we fill God's house? We commit to the plan. We commit to the plan. I have had the wonderful experience of knowing men and women who were set on fire for Jesus. I have had the wonderful experience of having wonderful Sunday school teachers and preachers who put things in my life. I have had the wonderful experience of going to Bible college and learning things. Wonderful experience of writing a dissertation to get my degrees. And I want you to know something. With all that I learned and all the books and everything, it still comes down to this one word. Go. Just go. Just go. Don't complicate it. Just go. Jesus sends his disciples and he says, go. And I want to encourage someone who's here today to say, Brother Demetrius, I don't know everything about the Bible. I don't know all of this. Not even sure of my salvation and all of that. But I want you to know it doesn't matter. Just go. Jesus sends out his believers and he says to them, take no purse with you. Take no script with you. Only take one pair of shoes with you. Just go. You know the problem with the church now? Is that we have complicated what evangelism is. We have complicated it so much so that we believe we're not even qualified to tell somebody about Jesus. We're not qualified to tell them the Roman road or not qualified to tell them about God's plan for salvation. Yes, you are, because when you go, the Holy Spirit will go with you. And the Holy Spirit will put in your mouth what you should say, what you should do. I had this lady that was one of my mentors. She was my evangelistic mentor. I went to her house because she was one person bringing more folks to God than anybody in our church. This person never drove a car. This person never walked to anybody's house. Uh, Young people, I may lose some of you now, but uh, your grandparents or some of the older members can tell you. I went to her house and said, teach me about evangelism. And she said, son, go get that book. 
And I went and got this big book. We called it the White Pages. Uh, yellow Pages for some of you. And she said, get it. She laid it down on her table. And she said, flip the pages. I flipped them. Put your hand down. I put my hand on it. And she looked at the name, called the number, said, hello, my name is so-and-so. You don't know me, but I've called to see if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I'm sitting back going, that stuff works. And every now and then she would say, let me lead you to the throne of grace. <laughs> and she would say, we're going to pray the sinner's prayer. I'm like, what is this? And when she got finished, and I just could see tears running out of her eyes, and she said, there we go, son, that's how you do it. It doesn't matter, all your degrees and all your knowledge, just do something to tell somebody about Jesus. Her goal was simply doing something. How do you make God happy? Commit to the plan. Don't change it and say it's for the professional preachers. God has called each one of you to be a beacon of light for somebody living in darkness. Ah, the last part. As you commit to the plan, I'm sorry, here's the scripture to that. Then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. There's the go part. Just Here's the last part. You tell your story for God's glory. You tell your story for God's glory. I want you all to know here, you probably already know because you have all these great teachers and preachers here, uh, but there's going to come a time, the Bible says, John the Revelator, the end time, not going to preach about Revelation, don't get scary now on me, but at the end time, the Bible says, there's going to be a great gathering together of believers. Those who believe Jesus, those who accepted Jesus into their heart, is going to be a great coming together. And John in Revelation tells about a number that nobody could count, and he saw all of these people, and they begin to say, how did these people get here? See, it's going to be more than just you. It's going to be more than just your church. It's going to be more than just this city, more than just Ohio, more than just Buckeye fans in heaven. It's going to be a number that nobody could count. And John says this in Revelations 12, 11. And they overcame him. Who's him? Satan, Lucifer, the devil, by the blood of the Lamb and by a word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. They didn't care if they died. Ah. Your testimony, your testimony makes a difference in the lives of others. What you tell people about your relationship with Jesus makes a difference. The blood of Jesus will wash their sins. Your testimony will draw people to Jesus Christ. You want to change this community? You want to change your family? You want to be a change agent? Tell somebody your story. Having said that, in the few minutes that I have, I want to tell you my story. Can I do that? So, as we look at the text here, I want to tell you my story of redemption and deliverance. See, I was 15 years old when I accepted Jesus into my life. But let me tell you, before that, I was a product of a single parent. My mom had four boys and one girl. We were living in Chicago. 
going through a tough time. When I was in sixth grade, at the age of 11, I remember saying to my mom, Mom, I want to go to Disneyland. I didn't get it wrong, folks. They didn't have Disney World back then. It was Disneyland. <laughs> and, and I said, I want to go to Disneyland. And my mother said, I don't have the money, son. And I said, but I want to go. You know how the children try to wear you down. I said, but can I come? Can I come? Huh? And she said, I don't have the money. Go see your dad. I said, Mom, I don't even know who my dad is. I think I have seen him, but I didn't recognize him. And she said, I tell you what. And my mother gave me 75 cents. I got on the bus. I got on the L. I got on another bus. An L is a train that rides inside the city. <laughs> and I got on the bus. I got on the L. I got on another bus. And I went from the south side of Chicago to the west side of Chicago. And I went to where my father worked. And I walked in the place. And they said, young man, can we help you? I said, yes, I'm looking for somebody that's my father. All the men stepped back. <laughs> and they just let me walk in this place. And this person came around this corner. And I looked at him. I said, you look like my daddy. He said, yeah. I said, well, mom told me to come see you. I need some money to go to Disneyland. How much you need? $200. He reached in his wallet, pulled out two $100 bills. That did not impress me because he didn't give my mama no money. But I took the $200 and I took the 75 cents that my mother gave me, <laughs> part of it, and I got on the bus, I got on the L, I got on the bus, I went home to my mother and said, Mom, he gave me the money. She said, what? <laughs> now, I don't know if he was embarrassed or what with all the folks watching him. <laughs> and I went to Disneyland. My father never went to any of my sporting events. I was captain of cross country, captain of the wrestling team. He never had time to come see me. Never came to my high school graduation. Never came to my college graduation. Never came to my wedding. Never. When we had our first grandchild, I called him and said, you've been a rotten dad. Can you at least be a present grandfather? He said, I'll try. <laughs> That's the relationship we had. I grew up with a single parent. But on December the 19th, 1973, I have a spiritual birthday coming up. Some boys at high school saw me. I was new to the city in Michigan, Louise, and, and they said, you want to come to church? I said, I don't know how to get there. I, um, I don't have any transportation. They said, we'll come get you. It was on a Wednesday night. I walked into a sanctuary. I saw the most beautiful people I ever seen in my life. And they were given what we call testimonies and exhortations. That's what you gave this morning, Manny, an exhortation. And they were resorting people. And then they went to what they called testimonies. And when they got to the end, my friend pushed me forward and said, now it's time to stand up. And I stood up and they said, young man, can we help you? And I said, uh, yes. They told me to say something, but I forgot what they told me to tell you. But whatever y'all have, that's what I want. They took me to the altar. They prayed for me. I had given my heart to God. I had never experienced such love before, such deliverance before. Right after I gave my heart to God, I joined the choir. And then after that, I went to my youth leader and said, is there anything else I can do in the church? He made me a custodian. I went to him again. Is there anything else I can do? I said, something's going on, man, and I think i got to do something for God. And then they put me on the back door, an usher. I was an usher now. A few months after that, it was about six months 
I went to them and said, something's not right. I don't know what's going on in my life. And they said, we're going to let you see the pastor. They took me to the pastor's office. And we sat down and they listened to my testimony. And they said, you're being called. I said, by who? I I don't know anybody calling me. I didn't miss a phone. They said, no, God is calling you. I said, to do what? To preach. And at the age of 16, I preached my first sermon. The members of the church got me a sport coat, a tie, (laughs) and some shoes, and I preached my first sermon. By the age of 17, I preached my first revival. God was just working in my life. But in my junior year, when I was in chemistry and just living the life as a teen on fire for God, we had about 75 young people who were on fire for God in our church. And they were jocks or the athletes who were known in their community. And I was in chemistry. And this young lady walked into chemistry. And I looked at her and I said to my friends, if she ever gets saved, if she ever give her heart to God, I'm going to marry her. They looked at me. I said, that's my wife. She tried to court me, but I told her I don't date unsaved women. (laughs) She looked at me and said, huh? I said, till you become a believer, we can't talk. And she didn't talk to me. But on a Sunday, she came to church, heard the sermon, came to the altar, gave her heart to God. After she got up and gave her testimony, I ran down and said, I'll take it from here. (laughs) We started dating, and we've been married 37 years. 37 years. Now, that's incredible, because her she came from a family, four girls, one boy. Her mom and dad were divorced. My parents were divorced. We have made a commitment to God that we would stick it out and not divorce. It's been 37 years later. No one in our family had ever gone to uh, high, uh, college before. She and I both went to college, got multiple degrees. And we were the first of everything. God just began to bless us. And we were living the life. And at our union, God gave us three, three wonderful daughters. The one on the end is Danielle. The one next to me in the middle is Dana. The last one is Dominique. I'm going to tell you their story, and then we'll sit down. This is Danielle. Danielle is what we call our challenge child. She was the one that said, you know, this Christian stuff is not for me. She didn't like being in the Christian family, and she went on her own for a while, and then she came back and said, Dad, Mom, I can't make it out there. I said, we said, we know it. And God began to use her. That's her graduation there. She graduated with her bachelor's degree in social work. She spoke at convocation. And today she's a social worker. Guess where, Louise? In Flint, Michigan. (laughs) She's helping those folks with the water that's not good. (laughs) She's our challenge child because uh, she was so smart, but she wanted to do it on her own besides God. She said, well, I'm just going to try it on my own. I don't see any reason why i got to be a Christian. And God took a hold of her and changed her life. This was our child that we call our problem child. Not that she was always getting in trouble. But see, I made a commitment to God and God schooled me or scolded me and said, I told you to go to school then. 
I was married with children and went back to college to work on my degree in ministry. And while we were in college, Dana, I'm sorry, the first one named was uh, Danielle. This one named is Dana. And Dana caught meningitis. If you know meningitis, it takes away your equilibrium, takes away your hearing. And my daughter had lost her hearing, and we began to say, God, what is going on here? We did what you said. You know, when something happened in your life, you try to figure out what did you do wrong. And God had told me, he said, I want to tell you something. Your daughter is going to be all right. It's a long story with that, but basically God had given me a promise that she's sick, but she'll be okay. Dana gathered herself together. She graduated from prestigious Ann Arbor schools. That's in Michigan. You all didn't know that. She went on to Anderson, went to school there, went on to Ui Pui. Ui Pui is Indiana University, Purdue University, just outside Anderson. Then she went to Wayne State, got her master's degree. That's her master's degree there. Today she is a licensed clinical therapist in North Carolina, Asheville, the home of Billy Graham. And guess what she does? Dana works on the floor with hearing impaired children. Who would have thought that? That God engineered her life to help hearing impaired children. Do they deserve to know Jesus? Yes, they do. And God used somebody that can speak and hear and sign to minister to these children. This is the last daughter. That's Dominique with her proud mother and older sister. You see the stripes on the side of her sleeves? Dominique graduated from high school with a 4.2 GPA. Went on to Anderson University. Graduated with honors at Anderson University. She won the Building Gloria Gaither Scholarship. She won the James Earl Massey Distinguished Scholar. Graduated. Asked me what, could she, what should she do with her life, and we talked about it. I said, well, you know, you got to be an attorney to do what you're talking about you want to do. Dominique goes to Iowa School of Law on a tuition-free scholarship. Graduate before the age of 25 from law school. She's working in Michigan. She's helping families. How did God do that? How did God take an African-American family, uh, two people whose parents were divorced, we should have been failures, or at least struggling in life. How did that happen? How did God do that to my wife and I? It was the church. It was the church that we grew up in. They taught us everything. We didn't know nothing about nothing. We didn't know how to be married. We didn't know. I mean, she was from New York and I was from Chicago. You talk about the early days of our marriage, it was fighting going on. New York and Chicago. But God taught us how to be husband. The church rather taught us how to be husband and wife. The congregation taught us how to be parents and how to raise our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. It was the church that became my father. It was the church that taught me what to do. The testimony of the believers in the church who taught Sunday school and small group meetings and vacation Bible school and who preach and who sang songs is what changed my life, changed my wife's life, and changed our children's life. That's the power of the church. The power of the church is this, is that the church creates stories in the men and women who go there to overcome evil and power. And the church become what we call the refuge or what I call centers of hope. Centers of hope where God depopulate hell. 
What does depopulate hell? Every time somebody gives their heart to God, that's one for Jesus, one minus for the devil. <laughs> Every time. The Bible said that we are all destined to die and go to hell, but when you give your heart to God, that's one person out of hell. You want to depopulate hell? Tell your story to somebody. Let them know where you come from. Let them know what God has done, is doing, and will do for you. Here's the shame. Here's the statistics I want you to know. 65% of people will come to church, will come to Jesus if you just talk to them. 65%. If you say, hey, I go to Bars Mill Church of God. You do? What do you do there? Tell them the story for God's glory. Tell them what a powerful church this is. Tell them about the singing. Tell them that you pray for folks who are sick and with cancer. Tell them this is a loving place. Tell them if they come early, they'll get some coffee and tea. <laughs> Tell them about your church. 65% will come. Last statistic. 73% are never asked, never invited about Jesus. Neighbors and friends and people you meet, you never tell them about your church. If the church wants to make God happy, the church must be concerned and on power, or set on fire about filling God's church and taking people out of hell. Would you bow your head? Thank you, Lord, for reminding us that it is about you about what you want, what you feel, what you desire. And Father, as I have spoken these words and share what I believe, Father, will change lives and change any church, I pray that someone here, some believer, some leader, would be courageous enough to ask that question whenever they meet and whatever they do, what makes God happy? And get about doing that. And Lord, I would pray if there's someone here that don't know you, that through the songs they heard, the testimonies they have heard, the preached word, they would give you a chance And I would pray for that person on the verge of leaving you, frustrated with what's going on in their life, that they would be encouraged to hold on. Bless this congregation, that it may be a center of hope for non-believers. In Jesus' name, amen.